And for those who remain, whether here in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 13. We'll be looking today at a parable about parables. As we begin this series, he gave us stories, taking a closer look at the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, this is God's Word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds, seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. Anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear. Bless our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear and understand and turn to you and be healed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you have a favorite bedtime story? 
You know, the one that you asked your parents to read to you over and over and over and over and over again until they started hiding the book. Mine was the little red caboose. It was a, sort of the little engine that could in reverse about a little red caboose that nobody particularly cared about because he was at the end of the train. And yet who, in a remarkable display of courage, managed to save the train from disaster as it slid down the high mountain by putting his brakes on at just the right moment. And I tell you what, I loved this story. I don't know why. My children never really took to it. Makes me sad. But I, I learned this story backwards and forwards. I could read this story before I could read, if you understand. And I would lay out my stuffed animals and lecture them about all the things. I knew what all the words were even before I knew what the words were. And, and I would make my parents just... Listen to me lecture them as, as we stopped at trains, stoppings, and the trains would go on. Here are the, is the big black engine. There are the boxcars and the coal cars and the oil cars. And I was dismayed at how few trains in our society have a little red caboose to protect them. A very few had some old, gross, rusty brown one. I think it was a caboose, but most had no caboose at all. What's going to happen if they go up a mountain and they start sliding down? I was captivated by this story. It shaped my interests. It shaped the way I learned to read. It shaped the way I experienced the world. The parables of Jesus, these stories, are far more interesting, are far more captivating. Consider the crowds that gathered to hear Jesus tell these stories Consider how we have told and retold them again and again throughout the generations in the church. Consider that there are even people who have never read the Bible, who do not even know who Jesus Christ is beyond a a curse word in the movies. And yet they know of the Good Samaritan and its significance. They know of the prodigal son and what that means. Parables of Jesus powerful. They're captivating. But they are challenging. This is one of only a small, tiny handful of parables that Jesus himself actually interprets for us. And we have debated for centuries about what many of them even mean. I remember visiting a church in college one time and we were in Sunday school and we were talking about a parable and I gave the, the traditional interpretation of the parable and somebody turned to me and said, well, you sound like a, a fundamentalist. The parable means something else entirely. An interpretation I had never heard and made no sense to me. Lest we get too prideful that we hold all the truth, are we sure that we understand the parables of Jesus rightly? Have we heard them so many times, have we become so familiar with them, that the, the surprise, the shock, the wonder that they present to us, is it lost on us? In this series this summer, we are going to seek to recapture the wonder of Jesus' parables, to understand their true significance. And as we begin, as we start this series studying a parable about parables, we're going to consider three questions. 
and what that means for us. First, we're just going to ask, what is a parable? Do we even know? Why would Jesus speak in parables? What, what's the significance of that? And, and how then are we to understand that not just this parable that Jesus tells us what it means, but any parable that we receive from the Lord? How are we to understand them? And so the first thing I want us to do is turn our attention to the first nine verses and consider what is a parable? What did these crowds gather to hear? What do you think they were expecting? I mean, there are so many people here crowding in on Jesus, anxious to hear another, another word from his lips that he has to step into a boat on the shoreline so that he's not crushed by the crowds. And he sits down and he teaches them in parables. What did they expect to hear? What do you think they wanted to see? Have you ever been excited to attend a, a seminar or a presentation or a movie? Or, or maybe it's your, a new semester in college and you have a couple of classes that you're really excited about and you're so worked up about it and you go and something just feels off. The previews are, are playing like normal. You're there at the right time. The, there's somebody up front who's beginning the lecture, writing their, their, their name up there. Or, and, and you just start to wonder, something is wrong. And you realize this isn't just another preview. The feature has started. I'm in the wrong movie theater. I've got, I've, I came to a math class and I'm listening to some lecture on geologic theory and I don't know what he's talking about. I, I, I thought the seminar was at 9 a.m., but it's at 10 a.m. Ella and I went to, to something yesterday only to find out it had been canceled and we didn't get the notice. And we were just, I was just confused. What do you think these people showed up to hear? The secrets of the kingdom of God? The good news of the, the, the Lord and what his promises for his people were? And what did they, what did they get? A story about a farmer throwing seed on the ground. Makes you wonder if they felt like they were in the wrong class. Why doesn't Jesus just tell them straight up? These are the things that you need to know. These are the things that God wants you to hold tightly to. Why the story? Why the metaphor, why go so far around the truth? Why not just tell it to us straight up? Have you ever felt like that? God, why can't you just send me an email? And yet, in the Garden of Eden, he said to mankind, you can eat of any tree in the garden except that one. He gave us ten commandments from Mount Sinai. They seem pretty clear. Even in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus on the Mount of Olives gives this great sermon about the ethics of the kingdom that cuts to the heart, that talks about our lusts and desires, our, our need to walk the path of righteousness, how to pray, how to treat one another, how to be peacemakers, how to love our enemies. He has told it to us straight up, and we still don't listen. Listen. 
And so he comes and tells them many things in parables. In one sense, this is a fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies, one that we read earlier from Psalm 78, that he would speak the mysteries and the glories and the wonders of who God is and what he's done in parables. And stories that would captivate attention, that would draw interest, that would reveal mysteries. And in that sense, Jesus' parables are are simply this. They are stories with intent. They're stories that reveal to us some wondrous mystery, some glorious secret, some incredible truth about the kingdom of God. They are our handles, if you will, that we can grab hold to and learn something new about a kingdom that can't be summed up in mere words, that can't be distilled into a few directives. They're intended to captivate us. They're intended to shock us. They're intended to convict us. They're intended to to grab our interest and make us draw near. And yet, they're still really, really hard to understand. What does it mean? Why would Jesus speak about something as glorious as the kingdom? In parables. Jesus tells us. Sometimes it feels like the parables are a little bit like those tax instruction forms. And I've just given up. I just hire I just hire an accountant. But even after they pass the law, like, you have to write it in clear English. I read those things, and I'm like, I don't know. What, what, what box am I supposed to put what number in, and who's the what, and what's adjusted, and where is it adjusting, and, how, and is it good or bad? I, don't, I just give up. I, it feels like they're intentionally there to just obfuscate things. Whether they are or not, you accountants will straighten me out on it, but that's how it feels to me. And sometimes the parables of Jesus feel like that. The kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed. I, I don't... I've seen a mustard seed. I've never planted a mustard seed. I'm, I, have, I like mustard. But I don't know what that means. The way this sower is going about his work seems completely antithetical to everything I've learned about gardening ever. And it just looks wasteful to me. It seems almost like, like Jesus doesn't want us to understand. And the thing is, that's exactly the case. He tells us in verse 13 why he speaks in parables. He speaks in parables to hide the truths of the kingdom of God. To keep people from seeing. To keep people from hearing. To keep people from understanding. Lest they turn and be healed. Why? Why would the Lord of glory, who left his throne to seek and save the lost, speak in a way that is intended to hide and obfuscate the truth?
parables as a form of communication on sort of a a meta level, if you will. They expose something about us. The form of parable itself teaches us something about ourselves because they expose our inability. They expose our inadequacy. They expose a lack in us that we are not attuned to the things of God in a way that would allow us to understand what God himself wants us to know or what he would communicate to us. The very form of parable points out that there is something deeply wrong in us, that we are unable to hear. No, not just unable, we are unwilling to hear, unwilling to see what God would have us hear, what God would have us see. And it doesn't matter if he tells it to us clearly. It doesn't matter if he tells it to us in story. There is something deeply wrong in each and every one of us that is not attuned to the Lord of glory. Do we really understand Jesus as much as we think? Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've heard these parables a hundred times. You're, I know what that means. That means, but just take the message that Jesus himself gives about the very form of parable and its intent to hide and ask yourself the question, do you really understand Jesus as much as you think you do? Are his priorities really our priorities? Is his disposition towards the sinner, towards the self-righteous, towards the religious person, towards the poor, towards the rich, is his disposition towards others what we expect it to be? Are our plans and purposes for life aligned with his plans and purposes for the universe? When we think about the things that Jesus talks about, turning the other cheek, the blessing of being meek, poor in spirit, of being peacemakers, of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, of sacrificing our own comfort for the sake of others, of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following after him if we would be his disciple. When we hear the things that Jesus talks about, they are calling us to a wholly different way of living. And the very parables that he uses to teach the glories of the kingdom way of life are themselves designed to show us that the way we are in and of ourselves is wholly inadequate, 
wholly opposed, wholly incompatible with the things of the kingdom. Because in our heart of hearts, if left to ourselves, we don't really want to be more like Jesus. We want Jesus to be more like us. How interesting then that we tend to interpret his parables in ways that align with the ways we already think and already live. How do you know that their meaning isn't hidden from you too? So what's the key? How are we to understand parables? If by nature we are unable to understand them, if the nature of the parables shows our inadequacy and inability, what hope do we have? But that's another thing that the nature of the parables shows us. There's something about the form of this, these stories shows us how we are to understand them. When I was engaged to Tracy, we had to do the you know, cultural thing of registering for gifts at Target or Walmart or wherever it is we registered for gifts. And I've probably told you this story before. But there was this point during that process where you get the little price gun and you get to run through the store and put everything on the list that you want to have where we were in the coffee maker aisle and I said, let's register for a coffee maker. I didn't drink coffee, but Tracy loved it. I mean, I, I couldn't stand it. I went through four years of engineering school, two years of graduate engineering school and two years of seminary and had never even developed a, a, a toleration of the stuff. My parents drank it all the time. In kindergarten, I told my kindergarten teacher that my dad, oh yeah, he drinks and drives because every morning he had a cup of coffee as he took me to kindergarten. There was an interesting parent-teacher conference after that. (laughs) Coffee's been all around me, but I'd never, ever developed a liking for it. And as we're sitting there getting ready to register, Tracy's like, I don't want to register for something that's just for me which I found confusing because I had just registered for a Lego X-Wing fighter, <laughs> which I got. I, like, of course, $30. My Lego set's going to cost more than that. Let's register. Now we got this. And finally, I get to this point. If I promise to drink coffee with you, will you let me register for this coffee maker? And she relented. She's like, okay, you can re- You can register for it now. And so I did, and we got it. And now I drink any coffee, black. Don't put anything, don't mess up the coffee by putting anything in it. Thank you very much. But I don't care. I'm not a coffee connoisseur. I like gas station coffee, the Keurig coffee. It's got caffeine, it's warm. It just makes me feel better. Just give me coffee. I love it. Love makes you do interesting things, doesn't it? something I would never have touched in all my life. And yet, because the one I loved loved it, I learned to love it too. 
If you are to receive the truths of the kingdom revealed in the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must first love the king. This is the truth of all of Scripture. This is what Isaiah the prophet himself learned. Why was he the one that God sent out to preach to a people who would never hear or understand? It was because he, disgruntled and upset because he lost the greatest king, in his opinion, that Israel had ever known. In a moment of mourning and sadness and weakness and maybe even anger at God, he saw a vision of the Lord in the temple full of glory and majesty with the seraphim around him shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And suddenly Isaiah was confronted with just how unlike God he was. He fell on his face and cried out, Woe is me. What kind of prophet am I? I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. But this God sent his angel with a coal from the altar to make atonement for Isaiah's sin. And he drew him near and set him right, such that when the Lord and his secret counsels allowed Isaiah to hear, who's going to go for us out into the world to declare this message? Isaiah said, I'll go. Because he loved the Lord. This is what Jesus says of the disciples. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. And Jesus is not complimenting the disciples on how great their eyes and ears are. They are blessed. They have received blessing from outside themselves. You disciples, you can see and hear something that you would not otherwise ordinarily see or hear because you have received a blessing from God. I have called you. I've invited you to be my disciples. Jesus took the initiative. In the old days, people competed to be students of these rabbis. But Jesus, Jesus did not collect resumes. He went and found the least likely candidates, some grungy old fishermen, tax collectors, castoffs. And he says, you, come, be my disciple. He called them into his presence. He showered his kindness and grace and affection on them. He gave his blessing to them that they might see and hear and know and understand to the point that when everyone else had abandoned the Lord, Jesus looks at his disciples in John 6 and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. They could understand. They could hear. Because they knew the Lord rightly. Had received him in humility and in love. And so our ability to understand the parables does not depend on how smart we are or how many commentaries that we've read. How moral our lives are. How quickly we can answer Bible questions or win sword drills, if they still do those anymore. 
Our ability to understand the parables depends first and foremost on how we receive Jesus himself. Not the Jesus of our own construction, not the Jesus we hope is real, but the actual, true, unadulterated Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what this whole parable is about. The parable of the sower and the sower, soils, say that five times fast. The parable of the sower and the soils is all about our response to the word, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word of God incarnate. So what is your response to Jesus? Are you hard-hearted towards him? Too angry at how your life is turning out? Too cynical to buy into this religious muckety-muck to even listen to Jesus? Too hardened to even give it some reflection and thought? Such that Satan can snatch it away before you even know it's there. Do you have shallow hearts? Unwilling to trust Jesus when things get difficult, when things get tough. Rejoicing in the good news when everything's happy, happy, happy. But the first time the Lord asks you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Because you have no root, you fall away. And you want nothing more to do with him because you thought it should be easier. You thought you deserved more. Do you have conflicted hearts? Too enthralled with the the loves and the cares of this world to really have time to know who Jesus really is and to dive into his word and to to seek him out in prayer and to, to... Draw near to him and be shaped and formed by him because there are too many other things for you to take care of in the office or at home or on your computer. Too many other interesting things, too many other worldly things. You don't have interest enough to really respond to Jesus. Or do you have open hearts? Willing to receive him in humility. Willing to let him and his truth take root in your heart, even if it means the root of bitterness or selfishness or anger or sin has to be torn out. Are you willing to receive him in love and let him form and shape you? And teach you to bear fruit. The parables of Jesus. In hiding who he is. And forcing us to draw near to him in order to understand. Show us that he and he alone is central to everything. And if we would know life as God would have us know it. If we would know truth that comes from God himself, if we would 
know what it means to understand not just the parables, but everything, all of the secrets and mysteries of the kingdom, you cannot short-circuit it. There are no shortcuts. You have to come to Jesus wholly and completely and humbly and love him above all else. What kind of soil are you? My parents grew up gardening and loved to garden. And they roped me into that, whether I wanted to be into gardening or not. And they didn't just do like little gardens like, oh, that's a nice herb garden. No, like they, half the backyard was torn up and tilled up and turned into a garden. Rows of corn and everything. And my job, more often than not, was to go out and care for and tend to the garden. And as I learned more and more about gardening... I learned that there's a whole lot of work that goes into making a garden ready to be a garden. You know what I mean? You can't just walk out to any old plot of land and it's ready, especially not in South Carolina where it's either sand or clay. You've got to till that up and soften it up and work in peat moss or or compost or some kind of good soil. You've got to... We would periodically cover the whole thing with this big old tarp of plastic that dad made and spray for nematodes. I'm scared to even know and look up what a nematode is, but apparently we didn't want them in the garden. And there is all sorts of weeding and pulling out rocks and all kinds of work that goes into every season just to get the garden ready to be a garden. And in all of those years that my parents forced me, made me participate in this work of gardening that I am now sad that I can't participate in because of the herd of deer that have made camp in my backyard. And all of the years of helping them with their garden, not one time did I ever see that soil prepare itself. Not one time did I walk out and it was nicely tilled on its own accord. Not one time did I go out and and realize that, that all the rows were already made and the seeds were already planted all by themselves. The soil doesn't prepare itself. And if the parables teach us anything about the kingdom of God, it is that the kingdom of God is less about what you can do for the kingdom or what you need to do to get into the kingdom, or how you can earn the kingdom. The kingdom of God is more about what God can and will and is doing in you. If you would but receive him. If you want to be good soil, you can't make yourself that. You have to look to the sower. You have to turn your eyes to the Lord. And receive his work in you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That you would give the same blessing that you gave to your disciples to us. That we would understand and turn from the things of this world back to you. And that you would heal us. 
Or we are hard soil. We are rocky soil. We are full of weeds and thorns and thistles. You tell us that if we receive you, if we look to you, if we believe, if we just believe you are who you say you are, that you can do what you say you can do, or that you can heal us, that you can turn us into good soil that bears fruit. So draw us near to yourself, O Lord, and teach us your way, that we might receive your word with gladness and bear fruit that gives glory to God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.